0: Please open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs 1, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, or if you've only been with us for the last two and a half years and you haven't opened anywhere other than Matthew, Proverbs is in the middle of your Bible, Uh, just after Psalms, if you just flip to the middle, you're going to be very close, so move to the right if you're in Psalms, move to the left if you end up in Isaiah. We're going to be giving our attention to the book of Proverbs. Now before we get to looking at our text together, I want to take a few moments to talk about how we think about preaching at Grace Church. Each week as we gather together, we come as a people under God's Word. All of us come as a people under God's Word. We do this because the God of the universe, the faithful Creator, is a God who speaks. And in His words, we can know Him and we can be brought into relationship with Him. So in this book, in the Bible, we have the only authority given by God by which we can know Him, we can relate to Him, we can enjoy Him, through which we can hear what we must believe about Him and what He requires of us. So as we come together as a church each week, our first task is always to listen, to hear, we are first a a passive people, seemingly so, because we come to hear. We listen to what God has to say to us, and then we go from this place to do what he has said. As Christians and as a a church, we are called to be hearers and doers. Now, this is the foundation that, that Larry, our founding pastor, laid here, and it's the one that I'm committed to building upon. The way that this primarily works itself out in the life of our church is through the practice of expository preaching. Now, expository preaching is a a form of preaching that aims to exposit or explain and make clear what scripture says. And we do this as we make our way verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. And expository preaching, it carries with it a set of convictions, convictions about God's word, First, that, that God's Word, the words in this book, are uh, inspired by God. That is, that God speaks to us, and all these words were breathed out by God. We hold to the inerrancy of God's Word, and that the, the Bible is true in all that it says, entirely without error. We hold to the efficacy of God's Word. Efficacy is a, is a word that means God, what God says, always has its intended effect. It's always effective. It always does what God wants it to do. We hold to the sufficiency of God's Word. That in God's Word, we receive all that we need for life and godliness. You won't show up one Sunday and hear us preaching from a different book because we needed something else. This is all that we need in God's Word. We firmly believe that, as one theologian theologian wrote, he said, the Bible knows what's relevant to every congregation far better than the greatest of pastors. It knows what a congregation needs more than the congregation knows. And we might add more than any other social commentator knows. When a preacher preaches straight through a book of the Bible, God sets the agenda. And the preacher learns along with the congregation. And so as I or the other pastors prepare to preach each week, As I pray and study, I'm not in my study thinking, huh, what do I have to say to Grace Church this week? No, we sit and we pray asking this question, what does God have to say through His Word to Grace Church this week? You see, expository preaching, it's not about proclaiming our burdens and our ideas, but doing all that we can to get out of the way as we labor to make plain God's burdens and God's requirements for us. And as your pastors, this practice is is both incredibly freeing, but it's also extremely sobering. It's freeing because I'm not overwhelmed with some man-made pressure for creative inspiration. It's like, how am I gonna entertain everybody this week? I don't have that pressure. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's not what I'm here to do. <laughs> but it's sobering because rightly handling or mishandling God's word is a matter of divine judgment. These are the words of the God of the universe in this book. I better handle them rightly. So we as the pastors of Grace Church, those charged to shepherd the flock of God to, who labor to rightly handle the Word of God, who point each of us to what we must believe about Him and what He requires of us. And if you've been with us in September of 2020, we have been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And what a wonderful journey it has been as we have watched Jesus, and listened to Jesus, and learned from Jesus, and been changed by Jesus. But last week, John brought us to the end, to the conclusion of Matthew, as we considered Jesus's words to his disciples, both his command to make disciples of Jesus, and his promise that he will be with them always. And now we have reached this point in my life as a pastor where I have the responsibility to determine what book to start next. One book has ended, and now another book must begin. And full disclosure, uh, this has been a daunting task, and one I've never had to face before. It was much easier when I could just make suggestions to Larry, just throw them out. And I didn't have to deal with the consequences until we got down the road. <laughs> much easier then. Or I could just disagree with him. He'd be like, I'm thinking this. No, nah, that's not a good idea. That was pretty easy, too a lot harder to, in God's mysterious providence, now have the responsibility to uh, determine that direction. And I'm grateful not to carry that responsibility alone, uh, to be serving with John and Chris. And after much prayer and thought and conversation, the journey we're going to embark on together is through this book of Proverbs. So you may be wondering, why Proverbs and why now? Well, I've already presented part of the answer uh, as, as long as the Lord tarries and as long as God gives me the opportunity to preach, uh, I mean we've got 66 books to go through so we got to go somewhere we also, we recognize that all of scripture as I said is breathed out by God and, and profitable for us so we want to give our attention to the whole counsel of God and again, if the Lord tarries Lord willing, and you're with us long enough, perhaps we will get through all 66 of the Bible and the, 66 books of the Bible and then we'll Begin again. More than that, as Christ followers, we are not only called to be hearers of God's word, but doers also. Earlier we heard read uh, from Colossians 2 where Paul writes that as those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord, we are now to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So our response to God's gracious work of redemption What he has done is now, how are we then to live? What does it look like to live life in God's world under God's rule as his disciples? He is the one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. So how do we live now under that authority? Now by God's grace, he doesn't leave us to then figure it out on our own. But he guides us by his spirit through his word. God reveals himself to us. He speaks to us through this book. And this is what Proverbs is all about. Proverbs teaches us wisdom. It teaches us how to live in a world that is ordered by a sovereign creator. Proverbs teaches us how to live in a world that is ordered by a sovereign creator. So with that said, I want us to turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 9. And this is God's inspired and errant Effective, sufficient word for us today. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head. And pendants for your neck. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we pray with the psalmist. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes, that we may keep them to the end. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe it with our whole heart. Lead us in the path of your commandments. May we delight in them. Incline, your heart to your, or incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Confirm to your servants your promises that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that we dread, for your rules are good. Lord, may we long for your precepts and in your righteousness give us life. Amen. Amen. So with great trepidation on my part, we begin. I was telling Chris this morning, I'm really looking forward to next week when we've already started the journey. It's getting started that's a little terrifying. Now as a kid and even today, I really enjoyed looking at maps. I think I've shared this before. I, when I was a kid, I loved to unfold some giant map and I would just trace different routes, looking at how roads fit together, figuring out how I could get from one place to another. And as I got older, I looked at maps and wondered about the story they told about a place's history and about its development. The one part I did not love about maps was folding them back up. But with the advent of MapQuest and then Google Maps, this is no longer a problem. Thank you, Lord. These opening verses of Proverbs, they they function as something of a map for the book of Proverbs. They introduce us to the primary author, to its intended audience, to the book's purpose, to how we'll accomplish that purpose. And then it gives an invitation to listen. These opening verses orient us and give us our bearings on, on where we are and where we should go. They present to us a map of how to navigate what lies ahead. And as we consider our text, I wanna organize it under two simple headings. The first is the purpose of this book. And the second is the method of this book. And so first we're gonna give our attention to the purpose of Proverbs. I heard one time someone share an illustration of an airplane and I could get on an airplane and that thing that I'm getting on is what? It's an airplane and those airplanes fly and they take you places. And so I can get on that airplane and feel like, great, I mean, I've, I've done what I needed to do. Now I could have a destination in mind, so let's say I wanna to go to Florida. But if that plane is not pointing in the direction of Florida as it takes off, I mean, as it gets up in the air, where am I gonna go? Not Florida. The, the direction, the trajectory is what really matters. And the same is true as we come to Proverbs. If we don't get the the trajectory of this book right, we could end up in a very different place than God intends. Now for many, wisdom is more practically understood as advice or or self-improvement. And you can pick up any newspaper or peruse the many voices on the internet, scroll through Facebook, or look at a bestseller list of books, and you will find a long list of people dispensing this so-called wisdom, as the world understands it. It's estimated that the self-improvement market is a $10 billion industry in the United States. $10 billion industry given to self-improvement. We live in a culture that's obsessed with being better, with self-help, we are so obsessed with self-improvement that not too long ago, The New Yorker published an article with the title, Improving Ourselves to Death. The article describes two authors who published a book that, that describes their year-long journey of throwing themselves into improving a different part of their lives each month. And so they, they devoted themselves to diet and their physical health or, or their brain. For, for brain month, they one of the tasks they took on was memorizing the first thousand digits of pi just to improve their mental acuity. They wrote this after this year-long journey. In a consumerist society, we are not meant to buy one pair of jeans and then be satisfied. And the same is true of self-improvement. We are being sold on the need to upgrade all parts of ourselves all at once, including parts that we did not previously know needed upgrading. And if you, again, I think social media, spend time on the internet on all the algorithms that we have the joy of navigating, you're gonna be presented things this week that you didn't even know you needed to make your life better. This culture of of self-effort and self-improvement, it's not just out there. It has become a part of the American evangelical landscape as well. One recent survey Revealed that 81% of Americans identifying as born again Christians believe that this verse is in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. So, is this what Proverbs is then? The Bible's own self help book? Now, if that was the case, then we might call this series Proverbs. Upgrade yourself. But Proverbs is not a Dear Abbey column. It is not self-help advice. In fact, Proverbs lays out for us at its outset what it is all about. And it begins by situating us in the context of a relationship between the Creator God and His covenant people as it introduces us to the primary author of this book. Verse 1 introduces us to him. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, Solomon was known for his God-given wisdom. This is what he asked God to give him. And he reigned as king in the middle of the 10th century B.C. So this book dates to some extent back to around that time. But it was also organized sometime later. One one example of this is seen in in Proverbs 25, where we read of a section that begins with, These also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Not the king of Judah. That was weird. <laughs> that was distracting me as well. <laughs> uh, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Here we encounter a group of Proverbs, beginning in Proverbs 25, attributed to Solomon, which were copied down by Hezekiah's men. Now Hezekiah was a, a king of Judah right around 700 B.C., which is about 250 years after Solomon reigned. So at that point, Proverbs, this book that we read now, is, is still being put together. Now, we don't exactly know when it was completed and finally edited, but we do know it was sometime prior to 200 B.C., because there's evidence, historical evidence, that it was completed at that time. And while it's difficult to discern, one thing we will be considering together is how this book is put together. Uh, one, one commentator talks about how most of Proverbs comes at us like life comes at us just kind of all over the place, unexpected. We're hit with one thing, and then we're hit with another thing, and how do these things relate? But this book was put together intentionally. It is inspired by God, and it's not just the the individual proverbs or poems that we might look at together. The entire book has a purpose. It's not just a bunch of random tweets that were thrown in the Bible. Every proverb is there for a reason. And I want to go back to that map illustration as we make our way through Proverbs. One of the things that we're going to be doing is looking at Proverbs at different levels. Now, when I go to a new place, like I said, I like maps. When I go to a new place, I do like to look at the map first. And I will look at it at different levels. And I'll look at it from from a, let's say, a city view. Kind of get an idea of how the whole city is laid out. Is it a grid? Is it, does it have loops? Like kind of what's going on here? And then I'll go from that city view. And when I know where I'm going, I'll go to a neighborhood view. Zoom in a little bit. And you look a little bit closer. And so you, so you might see how a neighborhood is laid out and the restaurants that might be there and the points of interest. And then I'll, I'll zoom in even more. And I'll get to a street view. I was uh, planning a, a getaway with Christine that we're going to take coming up. And that was I mean, one of the things I did. I was like figured out where we're staying, and then I go to the street view. And it's like, all right, what's it actually going to look like when we're actually down there on the street? Proverbs works in a similar way. At times, we're going to be kind of at that street level. We'll look, at, we'll look at one verse. What does this one verse say? And then we also are going to zoom out a little bit, and we'll see what is this cluster of verses saying? What do they say together? And then we'll go zoom out even a little bit more. What is this whole section? What's the flow of this? How does this fit into the flow of everything else that's going on? Then we'll zoom out even more and see how does this fit into all of Scripture. Now, it's not always going to be clear why certain Proverbs are placed in certain places. The secret things belong to the Lord. And people have been debating it for a long, long time. But it is clear that there is skill and thought behind the way it was compiled. And so we are going to enjoy together. Exploring that, being on this journey together. It's very different from Matthew, this journey. Now we come to these Proverbs and immediately in verses 2 through 5, we're given the, the purpose of this book. Verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. These two phrases, they kind of actually outline the verses that are going to come up. So the first part of that verse, to know wisdom and instruction, speaks to what comes in verses 3 and 4. The phrase, to know wisdom and instruction, is actually the same phrase that begins verse 3. We don't see it in English, but in Hebrew it's that way. To receive instruction in wise dealing. This is why these Proverbs are written, so that we might receive this instruction for living under God's sovereign rule within his created order in wise dealing. And then he specifies in, in righteousness and in injustice, and in equity. So we're to treat people right. We're to treat people fair. All of these things have to do with what wisdom looks like in the context of a community. A wisdom, it does speak to us individually, but it it has implications for a society. Verse 3 implies that the writer of Proverbs is addressing those who are ready to receive wisdom. They are are the wise, they are the learned. Then verse 4 explicitly addresses this other group. To give prudence to the simple. Now we're going to, as we make our way through Proverbs, we're going to see various ways that, that the writer of Proverbs, the writers of Proverbs dis- describe people. And one of those descriptions is simple. The simple are those who are lacking in training, and they are impressionable. Normally they're associated with the young, as they are here in verse 4. There are those with, with a lot of road left in front of them, but could be easily swayed off course. They're the simple. We're also going to be introduced to the fool, someone who knows better but behaves unwisely. This is someone who is, who is aimless and inattentive. We're going to be introduced to the stupid frequently, 51 times the writer of Proverbs talks about the stupid. The stupid is one who hates wisdom and ridicules forethought. And then a, a fourth category of unwise person is the scoffer, and this is the the most evil person in Proverbs, and they they are the one who influences others for evil. And so here at the outset, the writer of Proverbs wants to address the wise and the simple, to give prudence to the simple, an understanding of how to navigate life in this world, knowledge and discretion to the youth. In verse 3, we see this coupling, righteous justice and equity, which deal with, with communal wisdom. In verse 4, we see another trio, prudence, knowledge, and discretion for the simple. These don't deal so much with how we relate to others, but how we perceive the world around us. It's about the ability to detect what really matters and to unmask and expose Something that's just an external appearance. Expose hypocrisy. And how much do the young in our world need that discernment? Verse 5 then, the writer of Proverbs gets to this appeal, this, this, this invitation, his most sincere longing to receive these words. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. That's who he addressed in verse 3. And then verse 4, I mean the end of verse 5, and the one who understands obtain guidance. We both want to be those who hear this wisdom, and we want to be those who are guided by this wisdom. That's the the purpose of, of Proverbs, to lead us in this way. Second, the method of Proverbs. And this we see in verse six. The method of Proverbs. How, are we going to, how is he going to accomplish his purposes? We need a guidance in understanding a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise, and their riddles. So The writer of Proverbs gives us these, these four ways that he is going to lay out this wisdom. He's going to lay it out first through Proverbs. And this is, this is the bulk of what is in this book. In Hebrew, the word for, for proverb is related to the idea of, of being like or of representing something. So a Hebrew proverb is like this little mini model of reality. It's not reality. It's a picture of reality. So it gives us the opportunity to think about real life, and learn before we go and do something. And if you take a moment to think about that, it's really contrary to what the world often tells us, our culture often tells us. The world likes to say that that experience is the best teacher. So if you really want to know something, if you really want to learn a lesson, if you want to know who you really are, then go and live it. Try it. You do you. But God has another plan for His people. God wants people to look at this picture of reality presented to us in Proverbs in this case and to learn from it before you go off and experience the real world. One commentator says, the world says live and learn. God is saying learn and live. And if you are younger here and you can just self-identify as younger if you'd like to. It's probably the only time I'm ever going to say you can self-identify as something, but go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. If you are younger here, learn and live. What a gift we have that God speaks to us in His Word, giving us this picture of reality and how to navigate life in this world. It's like any new design that's used for for racing or for flying. When someone is putting together a new design, let's say for a plane, they don't design it, draw it up and hope for the best. Hey, let's see what happens. Let's go out and try it out and then go from there. No, they run simulations and they test it. They run it through a model of reality and learn what might be effective before they go and put it into use in the world. And this is what biblical proverbs are like. They give us the opportunity to look at what life is really like before we ever get there. So that's what a proverb is and does. And it sounds really different from the rest of Scripture. The writer of Proverbs in verse 6, he gives us another descriptive word to talk about what he's going to do, a saying. The Hebrew word for saying speaks to an elusive expression. So something that might not be first understood. Third, he talks about the words of the wise. One thing that's interesting about Proverbs, I I described it earlier how, how Solomon's the primary author. But there is evidence that there are other people that contributed to Proverbs. And and it's not just evidence. Proverbs actually talks about it. So when we come to Proverbs 30, we're going to be introduced to Agur. And we're going to be introduced to uh, Lemuel. And there are other people in Proverbs. One thing that has been surprising to students of Scripture is as we get into Proverbs uh, 22, many of the Proverbs that are used actually come from an Egyptian source that dates back before Solomon. And so there's this, wait, what? I mean, these are supposed to be the Proverbs of Solomon and they're using this Egyptian source and this is God's inspired word? Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. But how remarkable Mm -hmm. is that? That God is the source of all wisdom. And so by by using this phrase, the words of the wise, I think in, in some ways the author is acknowledging that Solomon doesn't have the monopoly on wisdom. But God is the one who inspires all wisdom throughout all time in all of history. So we're going to come come to some of these words of the wise. And then a fourth uh, method uh, that that the writer of Proverbs is going to use is riddles. Riddles. Now, riddles, they can can both be uh, sayings that cleverly conceal meaning. But the the word for riddles is also speaking to to a sharp saying. And so it also speaks to the idea of a saying that pricks someone's conscience. So those are some of the methods that the writer of Proverbs is going to use. So after presenting those, purpose and these these methods, verse 7 gives the author this opportunity, the sage, the wise person, this opportunity to now showcase... What does this wisdom look like? What do these proverbs look like? And in verse 7, as, as one commentator says, we see the, the quintessential expression of the basic spiritual grammar for understanding this book. In verse 7, we see wisdom's beginning and ultimate goal. That anyone, any person who wants to live life well, who wants to flourish will choose to live in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 7 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's this contrast between this beginning of knowledge and those who despise wisdom and instruction. And the writer uses this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is going to be a thread that runs all the way through Proverbs. It's this theme that runs throughout Proverbs. And it's not speaking so much to being scared of God. It is speaking of living in in reverence and awe and obedience to and of God. Wisdom begins and ends, stands and falls with a right attitude toward God. And so then the the writer offers another invitation, just like he did in verse five, verses eight and nine. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. And then he presents the beauty of wisdom. Now this phrase doesn't doesn't strike me as beautiful. I haven't been thinking about wearing a graceful garland on my head. Maybe I should. (laughs) I haven't been wearing pendants on my neck either. But it's, it's in this context, it's a way of speaking of the beauty and the appeal of walking in the fear of the Lord in obtaining this wisdom, in listening to instruction and not departing from teaching. And once again, for, for the young here, one thing that we're going to see as we go through Proverbs is the role that our parents play in this, in learning wisdom. And it's not just... A father's job, and it's not just a mother's job. Proverbs speaks to both as we learn wisdom from those who have gone before us, to, from those who God has put in our lives. God's ways are beautiful and better than every other way. Now, as we begin this journey, that where I want to conclude, this is the most unusual sermon I feel like I've ever preached, by the way. And I'm looking forward to next week once again. But what a joy it is to look at God's Word together, to embark on this journey together. I want to speak some about what is wisdom. And we've talked a lot about wisdom, but I haven't talked specifically about what wisdom is and why Why does God give us this this assortment, seeming assortment of stuff to make us wise? Well, I think a big part of the reason that, that God presents his wisdom in this way here in this book is because most of life is not lived in the big events. Most of life is lived in the ordinary, the mundane, and the soon forgotten. And in our society today, where it's more normal to publish your own thoughts and pictures of yourself for all the world to see, the mundane nature of life, it's not so popular. But it is true. And the wisdom of Proverbs exists for ordinary, everyday life. One commentator writes, There are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broad sides of the prophets, and yet decisive in personal dealings. Proverbs moves in this realm, asking what a person is like to live with or to employ, how he manages his affairs, his time, and himself. So wisdom is is really more about the everyday, ordinary stuff. This, This wisdom is for us. It's not so much for the exceptional circumstances, but it's just everyday. How has God, the Creator, ordered the universe? And how are we to live and operate in relation to Him and in relation to others? Wisdom focuses on people, in relationships, rather than addressing groups of people and nations. Wisdom unpacks personal experience rather than tradition. So what exactly is wisdom? It's more than just knowledge about how to think or what to do. The Hebrew word that's used for wisdom has more to do with with competence and skill than it does with knowing information. Wisdom is an expertise in understanding how life works and works well. And maybe embarrassingly, depending on how how this hits you, um, the song has been ringing in my head. George Strait, there's a difference between living and living well. And I would add that that difference is wisdom. Wisdom is about human flourishing in God's ordered world. Wisdom understands how real life can work well. One pastor illustrates this by saying that no one walks out onto a playing field for a game just hoping that everything's going to work out okay. Wisdom plans ahead of time. It comes up with a plan that will score more points than the other team by taking into account not just the rules of the game, which set the boundaries, but also the, the psychology of people, the timing of events, the strategy of plays, everything that it takes to win. This is wisdom. And it's important for us to, to recognize and know that wisdom is not something extra, something for like the advanced Christian. Like, oh, yeah, I'm not ready for that. Like, I'm, Jesus died for my sins, I'm good. Wisdom is, is not just for Christians who are into that kind of thing. Wisdom begins and ends with a right attitude toward God, it's about living in the fear of the Lord. It's not a second class subject where we understand salvation in God over here, and then there's this other extra thing over here. It's not peripheral to God's people. It's central to who we are and what God has called us to. So let's, for a moment, think back, as all discussion should do, to the beginning of time, to the garden. And in the midst of that garden, God placed two trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This word for knowledge is not like we would think of it. It's not just intellectual or or the memorization of facts. It's not this gift of knowledge, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not speaking to memorizing a thousand numbers of pi. It's far more than that. In Genesis 4, the same word for knowledge is used when it says that Adam knew his wife Eve. The biblical concept of knowledge is one that's about participation. It's lived out and embodied. It's relational. One commentator says that wisdom is about the whole human world of thinking, imagining, loving, feeling, and relating to God and others. I think we tend to think of wisdom and knowledge as this kind of pretty flat, rational category. But it is so much more than that in the Bible. It speaks to our heads, it speaks to our hearts, it speaks to our hands. In these opening verses of Proverbs, I think we're meant to see some of the beginning of Scripture. The word used for prudence in Proverbs 1.4 is the same word that's used in Genesis 3.1 when the serpent is described as crafty. This doesn't mean that the serpent is good at crafts. It means that he uses the knowledge that he has for for certain ends. In the serpent's case, these ends are negative and evil, but for the one who fears the Lord, this prudence is a gift for good. In Genesis 3.6, Eve sees the fruit that it is... To be desired to make one wise. This this phrase, make one wise, is the same word that's used for the wise dealing in Proverbs 1, verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing. That's what these Proverbs are written for. So there's this sense that in these opening words of Proverbs, the, the writer is presenting a wisdom that is an undoing of the false wisdom that was held out by the serpent. The wisdom of Proverbs is this presentation of life as it should be lived in God's world. It's not peripheral or extra, it's central. I heard one person say, it's it's not the icing on the cake, but the key ingredient for the whole recipe, wisdom. And so Paul describes Jesus Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's through wisdom that God presents His plan of redemption through Jesus. Through wisdom, the Spirit opens our eyes to discern the work of Jesus. It's through wisdom that we are shown how to live as His redeemed people as we sojourn in a sinful world. Do you remember how the Sermon on the Mount ends? It ends in Matthew 7. And Jesus there is is defining the Gospel as wisdom. In Matthew 7.24, He says, Anyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He contrasts this in verse 26 with those who hear these words and does not do them. And do you know what they're going to be like? A foolish man who built his house on the sand. Proverbs presents to us two ways of living. You can either be wise building your house on the rock. You can be foolish building your house on the sand. Jesus quotes in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to or quotes Proverbs 35 times. Throughout the New Testament, there are other references to Proverbs. And for a, for a book that we can so often separate from regular Christian living, it's remarkable what a part of of the early church that this book was. And we have the joy of studying this book together because it's a book of God's grace for sinners. It's good news for people who need help. The message of Proverbs is not do better, it's not upgrade yourself, it's not be a better you. In the midst of our folly, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our sin and our stupidity, God comes to us. Just like we heard last week, Jesus came to them. God comes to us. God comes to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ as wisdom. And he goes with us. That's what we see in Proverbs. This book is not a list of demands, but a gift of grace. One pastor said, the book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us, stumbling through daily life. What a gift that is. Practical help from God for weak people like us, stumbling through daily life. It's his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the defeated, his warning to the proud, his mercy for the broken. The book of Proverbs is the gospel, good news for the inept, through the wisdom of another. Praise God that we don't gather together kind of grasping at straws, hoping that we're going to catch on to the latest fad that's finally going to work for us and solve all our problems. We have a perfect Savior, a strong defender, and so we trust in Him. In just a moment, we're going to sing, Be Thou My Wisdom. He is our wisdom. Proverbs reminds us that left to ourselves, on our own, we would never choose the path of wisdom. But God has sent His King, Jesus, And he is on his throne. And this king walked the path of wisdom. And he walked it in our place. And so now all the promises of Proverbs, they're ours. Just not yet. Because we now live in the tension between the already and the not yet. We will still face trouble in this world. But it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And so we look to him, we trust in him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we confess, along with this proverb, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Help us not to be fools who despise wisdom and instruction. Lord, I pray in particular for, for the young people in our midst. Lord, may we receive humbly your word. May we be guided in paths of life. May we see your ways and your word as better than all else. May we not be distracted and pulled aside by the cares of this world. Would you be our vision, O Lord of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.